Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 570. Welcome in. Uh, not going to lie to you, it's been kind of a, uh, I don't know if the right word is like hectic or chaotic day here. Uh, girlfriend's visiting town, took my roommate, helped her take the cat to the vet this morning. There's a funeral. It's been a kind of a whirlwind of a busy day. I am off uh, Wednesday and Thursday, tomorrow and the next day. So this is the last episode of the week until Friday. On Friday, the plan is to do a lot of Patreon questions. We'll talk about Florida against Utah. They're playing on Thursday night. That'll be really fun. I can't wait to talk about that on Friday's show. Um, but I I really felt like there were some things that happened in the NFL that were really necessary to talk about, as well as a couple of things I wanted to talk about. So let's jump into story number one today. First of all, Bill's veteran pass rusher, Von Miller, is going to start the year on the physically unable to perform list, the PUP list. So that means Von Miller is out at least the first four games of the year. That's the Jets, the Raiders, Washington, and Miami. And uh, that, by the way, that's good news for Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers. So I've talked a lot about how I'm a little worried about the Jets offensive line. And uh, hey, that's a little bit of a victory there. The Bills defensive line isn't going to be at full strength week one. Now, Von Miller tore his ACL uh, on Thanksgiving last year against Detroit. He's 34 years old. I have said regularly, I'm not sure what he's going to bring to the table. And if all he contributes this year is by the time they get to the playoffs, he's really good and fully healthy and can make an impact at the end of the year, that's really all he's got to do. I think he's at the very end of his career. He's trying to make one more push out of Super Bowl. He's on the right team to do it. I do believe the Bills' Super Bowl window is going to be closing very soon before they have to tear down and rebuild everything. But uh, rebuild everything is the wrong way to put that. They're going to be good as long as Josh Allen is there. But being an elite-level football team at the top of the NFL, I, I think it just can only happen for a couple of years before you got to add some new players, change out some contracts. And uh, right now, without Von Miller there, the top two defensive ends will be Greg Rousseau and Leonard Floyd. And so it's still a very good group. Again, I, I want to repeat this. The number one most important thing for Von Miller is to make an impact while the Bills make a playoff run because he could be the difference between a loss in the divisional round or the AFC title game and a Super Bowl. If he can only make an impact at the end of the year, that's still a victory for Von Miller and the Bills. But he will miss the first four games at minimum. And again, I don't expect much from him until the end of the year. He's 34, coming off a torn ACL. He could do nothing until the playoffs, and I'd be totally happy with him. But it's worth noting, he will not be available early in the year for Buffalo. Now, another thing happened, though, in the Bills' defensive line. They traded defensive end Boogie Basham to the Giants. They gave up a—well, first of all, they drafted Boogie Basham in 2021 with a second-round pick. He's 25 years old, but in two years in Buffalo, he's only had four-and-a-half sacks. He hasn't been a home run. He's very physically talented— and the Bills have a really full group on the defensive line. They just got a lot of bodies there. They were making cuts and might have had to cut him. Instead, they traded him to the Giants. Now, the Giants head coach, Brian Dable, and the Giants general manager, Joe Schoen, both came over from Buffalo. They are familiar with Boogie Basham. And so I think it's interesting because it's the second trade the Giants have made in the front seven. They traded for Isaiah Simmons a couple days ago. They just now have traded for Boogie Basham. 
what I see with what the Giants are doing, Boogie Bisham and, now, and Isaiah Simmons, they're both guys who are able to be acquired for very cheap, that have a lot of potential. I don't know if they're going to reach their potential or not. But what I do know is that Don Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator in New York, loves, loves, loves to come after opposing quarterbacks. I think it's incredibly fun football to watch. He makes it difficult for the opposing quarterback. Like, we're going to blitz you until you are so exhausted of dealing with hot routes and trying to figure out your best matchup. They're going to make it really difficult. They're going to hit the quarterback, going to get after the quarterback. And so for them to invest more players into their front seven, getting Isaiah Simmons and Boogie Basham. Boogie Basham is a guy that I just think never fully reached his potential in Buffalo. And I'm not saying he will in New York, but certainly very similar to Isaiah Simmons. He's a player that I felt like could become a great player, although it never worked out with his former team. And I want to see how the year goes because, man, he's going to get good coaching. He's going to be put in a good position to do well. And uh, I really like what the Giants have done. A couple small moves here and there on their front seven to make their pass rush even better going into the year. Uh, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. There's news about him. Jonathan Taylor, as I predicted, I told you it wouldn't happen. He did not get traded. In fact, not only did Jonathan Taylor not get traded, he was put on the pup list. He has been put on the physically unable to perform list. He cannot play the first four games of the year. Could be longer. Uh, This is amidst a contract controversy in Indy where he wants a new contract. They didn't want to give it to him, so he said, I want a trade. They said, fine, go seek a trade. Remember, I said it's very disingenuous because the asking price for Jonathan Taylor was going to be astronomically high. And uh, I'm, I'm really not sure how this whole situation is going to work out in Indy because I don't know whether we're going to see, jo- see Jonathan Taylor play at all this year in a Colts uniform. Their owner is a bit vindictive. It feels like a really big mess where he doesn't want to be there. He feels taken advantage of. He feels unfairly compensated, or I guess unfairly undercompensated. And uh, man, I just don't know what to make of Jonathan Taylor. But it's worth noting, like I, a lot of my friends talk about how we're so excited for Jonathan Taylor in fantasy football. He's not even going to play the first four weeks of the year, let alone who knows what's going to happen after that. So uh, this is a story that's ongoing, and we will have to keep track of what goes down with Jonathan Taylor and his team, the Indianapolis Colts. What about the other running back who we talked about Saquon Barkley a lot during the preseason. Now Jonathan Taylor is going through a situation. One guy who was franchise tagged and was holding out is back with his football team. The Raiders gave their running back Josh Jacobs a one-year contract worth up to $12 million. That is slightly more than he would have made on the franchise tag. Last year, he was a leading rusher in the NFL. He's only 25 years old. And that means the holdout is over. Josh Jacobs is back with the Raiders, trying to get ready for week one. They keep saying, we don't know how much he's going to play. It really depends on what kind of shape he's in, what his conditioning is like. I am really fascinated in this because I don't think it's the end of the Josh Jacobs saga between him and the Raiders. All that happened was the situation got pushed back another year. Because now he's back, great, but the Raiders are going to use him as much as they possibly can without ever guaranteeing him any long-term money. I would feel still frustrated if I was Josh Jacobs, happy to take $12 million, great. I mean, I think it's up to, so it's actually probably a little less than that with incentives. We don't know the full details of the contract as of yet. But what I imagine happening in the offseason after this year 
It's just a refresh of the same situation. He'll want a long-term contract. The Raiders won't want to give it to him. They'll threaten him with a franchise tag. He'll threaten to hold out. And nothing's actually going to get done until he gets another one-year contract or slightly more than the franchise tag would have been. It's just interesting how you can be the most productive running back in the NFL and not get a big contract. And unfortunately, I would say it's the right move. I mean, like, it's it's a horrible thing to say. I, I feel bad for Josh Jacobs. Not too bad. Crocodile tears because he's making astronomical amounts of money compared to you or me. But, you know, the running back position is just totally devalued in the NFL. People don't want to pay them. They've got no incentive to pay them. Running backs have no leverage. And, uh, you know, it's if you own Josh Jacobs in your fantasy football team, great. He's back. He's going to play. I think he's going to have a good year. But it is a bit weird to see a player who is, again, last year was the most productive player at his position, not have any guaranteed money long term. And it's a common theme around the NFL. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Jonathan Taylor's got nothing. So... I don't know, man. It's a weird part of the NFL right now that running backs just do not get paid. And um, whether you like it or not, I don't like it for the players. But from a team perspective, it doesn't make any sense to pay a running back. You can just draft another one. They're totally replaceable. And uh, it's a weird, uncomfortable spot we found ourselves in the NFL. I guess totally replaceable is a bit of an overstatement. You're not just going to find Saquon Barkley growing on a tree somewhere. But certainly you can find... 70% 70% of the production, maybe, that Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs would bring to the table from a running back in the draft next year. So, I don't know. I understand teams saying we don't want to pay a running back a ton of money when they get hurt and their careers don't last very long. Um, it's a weird spot. It's a passing league. And I'm really curious what happens come next offseason with Josh Jacobs. Now, let's dive into the Raiders a little more for a moment because... Here's what I saw. What I saw was Alex, the former, what's his name? I'm trying to remember his name right now. I'm blanking. Alex Leatherwood, the former offensive tackle at Alabama. He got cut by the Chicago Bears. And I was like, hold on. Wasn't he a number one pick for the Raiders like three years ago? What, what happened there? How, what's been going on? And I thought it was worth diving into. What's, what happened to the Raiders' first round picks during the Mike Mayock era? Because Mike Mayock was the Raiders' general manager and for 2019, 2020, and 2021. And during those three years, Mike Mayock made six first-round draft picks. Only one of those draft picks still is on the Raiders roster and really truly worked out as a great starting player in the NFL. That Who is that guy? That would be their starting running back in Vegas right now, Josh Jacobs, the 24th overall pick in 2019. That's the only guy... Over the six, the, the three-year run, six-draft-pick run, the Mike Mayock era, that's the only first-round pick that was produced to be a good player currently on the Raiders roster. When you look back around you know, what happened, go through the picks, Josh Jacobs was one of three first-round picks the Raiders made in 2019. The other one was, first of all, they drafted defensive end Cleveland Farrell, number four overall. He is currently not on the Raiders roster. He is actually Nick Bosa's backup on the 49ers. And in four years with the Raiders, he had 10 sacks. That's a solid, decent, you know, career as a backup, I guess. But that's not a player who lived up to the hype of the number four overall pick. Also in 2019, the Raiders drafted a safety Jonathan Abram, 27th overall. 
He is also no longer with the Raiders. He didn't work out. He wasn't very good. He actually just got cut by the New Orleans Saints during their uh, roster cutback. So Jonathan Abram is a free agent. Cleveland Farrell is on the 49ers. Josh Jacobs, the one 2019 pick that worked out, he's our starting running back. He's great. Now in 2020, Mike Mayock drafted receiver Henry Ruggs, number 12 overall, and corner Damon Arnett, number 19 overall. Damon Arnett is a free agent right now, not in the NFL. He's dealing with, or he is or has been dealing with gun charges, so he's had legal trouble. I encourage you to look up the legal trouble of Henry Ruggs. It's really dark and really sad. Henry Ruggs is currently in prison, so that's two more draft picks that didn't work out, both in 2020. And then in 2021, the Raiders drafted offensive tackle out of Alabama, Alex Leatherwood, number 17 overall. He didn't work out, wasn't playing well at tackle. They moved him to guard. Then he got cut by the Raiders. And most recently, he got cut by the Chicago Bears. So in case you're keeping track, again, I want to repeat this. Only one of the six first-round picks Mike Mayock made in his tenure as the Raiders general manager, only one became not only a starting player in the NFL, but only one of them even is still on the Raiders roster. It's a pretty bad track record. That's rough. I feel bad for Raiders fans. And, uh, you know, Mike Mayock was a TV presenter from NFL Network. He got hired because John Gruden liked him. And uh, I would say maybe never again should we hire a guy from TV to be an NFL general manager because it was horrible. Now, he did draft, what, Hunter Renfro in the fifth round in 2019, Max Crosby in the fourth round in 2019. So he had some good draft picks, but certainly the ones that counted, he got wrong. And it feels more and more like he just got lucky with Max Crosby and Hunter Renfro. Uh, Now, it's going to be a very short episode. I realize that. But I think it's these are a couple things I wanted to talk about the moves that were made here and there. Another thing happened today, though, that caught my attention and I find very what's the word weird. Hard to understand, not hard to understand in the terms of the player that got cut wasn't a great player. But I then ask, what's now the plan? Who is the backup quarterback then? Here's what I mean. The Patriots currently only have one quarterback on their roster. They cut everybody except for their starting quarterback, Mac Jones. On Monday, they cut Trace McSorley. On Tuesday, they cut, you know, Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham. Tuesday is today, the day of recording. And I could see both Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham making it through the waiver wire and then ending up on the practice squad. I don't see a reason to totally discard them, get rid of them forever. But it is a bizarre fact that right now the Patriots only have one quarterback on their entire football team. What's the plan? Like, who is your backup quarterback going to be? I have no idea. I don't know what to make of it. I'm not really sure why. I'm not saying Bailey Zappi was a great player, and maybe they literally cut him because Patriots fans kept saying, he should be the starting quarterback, and creating and generating this weird, fake quarterback controversy in New England. I'm not sure why Bailey Zappi got cut. But it is a bit bizarre to see a team cut every quarterback but their starter when I'm like, I just don't know who their backup's going to be. I, I don't know why you would do that. I'm open to seeing what's happened. I'm op- I have an open mind. I'm open to understanding Bill Belichick. I tried to in the past. And last time Bill Belichick did something weird, I didn't fully understand. He made the Patriots offensive coordinator 
Matt Patricia, a defensive coordinator who became a defensive head coach and then somehow ended up calling plays for the Patriots. So more and more as time goes on in New England, I try to make sense of the weird moves Belichick makes. And more and more I go, I just don't understand. And this is one I don't quite understand. If you have a plan, maybe the Patriots have an idea. They're like, we want to go target this guy. There's one player specifically we want to go get as our backup quarterback. That's very possible. And when that happens, I'll report on that. Hopefully by Friday, we'll know who their backup quarterback is. Maybe they'll claim someone on the waiver wire. I'm not sure. But I find it very bizarre that the Patriots literally have no current backup quarterback. That's just a bit weird. And uh, last time Bill Belichick did something weird, it was Matt Patricia calling plays, and it was a disaster. So, I don't know. Worth pointing out, Bill Belichick did another weird thing in New England. All right, there's a concerning story going around about Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford. It's been... I don't know. I, I just, I, I've read about it and I read about it and then I wanted to hear the words said out loud and try to really fully understand. So I'm going to play some clips for you guys. We just learned some concerning stuff about Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford. I'm going to play a couple of clips from his wife, Kelly Stafford's podcast, The Morning After with Kelly Stafford. Let's play clip number one. Just take a listen. It's, it's kind of crazy. So Matthew's been in the league a long time, right? We've been talking about this. He's like, the difference in the locker room has changed so significantly. And they have a lot of rookies on their team this year. They're very young. But he's like, I feel like I can't connect. So uh, Matthew Stafford has been struggling to connect with the young players in the locker room. It's concerning. A bit weird to hear. Um, You know, the Rams are totally rebuilding. At one point, they had 36 rookies on their roster. It was alarming. It's like, that's a lot of young guys. They are a young football team, admittedly, as Kelly Stafford will tell you. Everybody's new. Now, Kelly Stafford continues. Take a listen to clip number two. In the old days, you would come out of come out of practice. You'd shower. People would be playing cards. People would be interacting. Who knows what they're doing, you know? But they're, they're doing something together. They're playing ping pong. They have a, a tournament going on doing something, you know, like, they're at least talking. He said now they get done with practice or get done with meetings during training camp and they go straight to their phones. Like no one looks up from their phone. So Matthew was like, I don't even know how to, like, do I, am I the dad? Do I take the phones? Like, what do I do here? I mean, they're, and he's like, I want them to see me as like, not as like a, a coach. I find it interesting blaming their phones. It, it feels very, I don't know. It's a, it's confusing, I guess. You know, I just can't talk to them because they're on their phones. You, you can't say, hey, I'm, I'm Matthew. What's your name? Nice to meet you. Can we talk? You, you're so intimidated by the phone, you can't approach them and say hello? That's a weird thing to hear. This is a real conversation Matthew Stafford had with his wife. He's struggling to get to know his new teammates. What? This is never something Tom Brady had a problem with. Aaron Rodgers is on a new team in New York. Doesn't seem to be a problem at all, actually. In fact, I've heard reports he goes to a new lunch table every single day to sit with a different group and get to know different people. I don't know why it's so complicated for him to sit down and have a conversation with new people. You, you can't get to know them? I don't understand this. We don't really know what's going on in the locker room. I want to be clear about that. 
And I don't know, if I was in the locker room, I was Matthew Stafford. I'd just be open about it. I'd get in front of the team and say, hey guys, there's a lot of new faces. I'm a bit intimidated by it, to be totally honest. You can say that. You can admit that. Say, I want to I get to know you guys. I want to learn your names. Please be patient with me. It's a lot to keep track of. I'm also trying to study the playbook, trying to study film every day, as well as get to know you guys. I just don't know why you can't be open about that. And maybe he has been. That's why I said we don't know what's going on in the locker room. But it's a bit weird. If I was Matthew Stafford's teammate and I learned about our quarterback having a hard time getting to know us from his wife's podcast, I'd be like, that's a weird thing. Now, again, we don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Maybe he's been very open the entire time. But I do think hearing this from his wife makes it sound like Matthew Stafford has really, really bad people skills. Like, he just can't talk to anybody. He can't approach anybody. He's intimidated by cell phones. It's a really weird, really bad look. Let's play clip number three. But he said it's so different and so hard to get to know these guys. He had a book printed out. He asked his equipment, or I think it was his equipment guys, do you have a book printed of all the guys' faces and their names? Because he's like, I don't, I need to know their names. I think this one sounds worse than it actually is, if I'm totally honest. I mean, it reminds me of how you would study a playbook. Yeah, you just put their faces in front of you, try to connect the face to the name. It's actually not a terrible way to study people, get to know them. However, it's really impersonal. I don't know why. I want to repeat this. Why can't you just go up and say, hey, I'm Matthew. What's your name? Nice to meet you. And then you ask him a little bit about their life, where they're from. I often forget people's names all the time, but I remember where they're from or their dog's name. You just got to find a little fact about them to help you remember their face and a fact you can connect to that face. You may forget their name. Names are actually one of the hardest things for me to remember, but I can remember like your dog's name, where you grew up, your college, something that's important to you. Ask them about something they care about. It's not that hard, in my opinion. I'm an extreme introvert. Believe it or not, I talked to my roommate is a teacher. I'm like, how many people do you talk to during the day? She's like, oh, you know, 300, 400. I'm like, oh my God, I talked to like two. Like you and the cat. <laughs> I'm like, I don't talk to anybody all day. And yet still, I've never had a problem approaching someone, saying hi, introducing myself, trying to get to know them. I've played on many football teams. I've been in many scenarios where you got to meet new people. It's weird to me. Just this story, it, it, it's baffling to me because it sounds just like Matthew Stafford has no idea how to connect with anybody. And he's been in the NFL for 15 years. In fact, literally the segment before this on the podcast, Kelly Stafford was saying he's been in the NFL for so long. Why isn't he getting the credit he deserves? Well, if he's been in the NFL for so long, how does he still not know how to connect to his teammates? I find it weird. Let's play clip number four. I think Matthew feels it the most because he's so old and like a leader on the team. And, but he's like, I don't know how to lead people. I, I don't have no connection with, like I have to somehow find the way to connect them. Yeah, you do. You do need to find a way to connect with them. Again, it's crazy to me. 15 years in the NFL, you're still not sure how to connect with your teammates. And, and then this ageist thing saying, well, it's because I'm old and they've got cell phones. Dude, you're 35. You're not 75. You have a cell phone too. I, I don't understand this. And this story gives me bad vibes. That What I'm getting here is that, you know, it, it could be, it sounds like when you listen to the podcast, it's kind of a thoughtless rant from Kelly Stafford. It could mean very little, but what if it's not a meaningless rant? What if there's a story that's intentionally been put out here? Because I would argue Kelly Stafford is someone from my impression. I've seen her in many appearances on 
podcasts and TV shows and whatever, she's media savvy. She knows what she's doing. If she puts a narrative out there, it's not because she's dumb and just ranting and rambling to the media. No, it's because she has an agenda. And as I've observed the Stafford household, it feels very clear to me Kelly Stafford is the one behind the scenes running things. Like, remember when the Rams won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago and the Rams had this parade. Matthew Stafford was stumbling drunk, falling all over himself. She was the one who like propped him up and kind of kept it together. So I do wonder, it's worth asking the question, could, could Kelly Stafford have put this out there to send an early message? Hey, um, it's going to be a bad year and we need to, as soon as we can get ahead of it, start shifting the blame, kind of creating a narrative of what might be going wrong for the Rams. It's all these young new guys. They're the problem. It just, they're on their phones. They don't want to talk to Matthew. It's not a great message, but maybe it's better than the alternative people could come up with when they have a horrible season. Again, I, I just think it's weird that, you know, all these new guys are so overwhelming for Matthew Stafford, a 15-year NFL veteran. And here's what my takeaway from all this is. I'm sure it's made the rounds. I read about it. Then I listened to the podcast. I wanted to understand and hear her say it in her own words. I already felt this way, but this story confirms something I already had a sneaking suspicion of. I'm starting to believe Matthew Stafford is done winning in L.A. He's got a huge contract. I really asked a question this offseason. Why did he go back to the Rams? He appears to be done. He was injured. I question his work ethic at times. And... I think he's back because he's making a ton of money. He gets to do a childhood dream of his. It's hard to walk away from football. But Matthew Stafford spent 12 years as a starting quarterback in Detroit. Multiple times. Different coaches, different regimes. Multiple times the Lions tried to rebuild around Matthew Stafford. It never seemed to work. The only time Matthew Stafford had a really successful part of his career was when he went to a loaded football team that the rebuilding phase had already been through and was done, and they were ready to win now. If the, re if the Lions couldn't rebuild around Matthew Stafford, how, how am I supposed to believe that the Rams are going to be able to rebuild around a Matthew Stafford who's 35 years old? You can't teach an old dog new tricks, and he doesn't even appear to want to do the work of getting to know his teammates. It's confusing and weird to me. I'm not sure why he's still playing, I think we'll find out this year, but I think it's very likely we are closer to the end of Matthew Stafford's career. It's a weird complaint. I, I can't get to know my teammates. Put in the work, dude. What, what are you talking about? And I know he's making a ton of money, but if they have a bad year this year, I would not be shocked if he just peacefully walked away. Hey, I won a Super Bowl. My career is good. I've got a nice life. I've got a ton of money. I, I, I truly, like, this teammate story... I don't want to make too much of it. Maybe it's nothing. We'll see. But it's a really bad look. And if I was a teammate of Matthew Stafford's and I found out from his wife's podcast that he was having trouble and didn't want to connect with us, I'd be like, hmm, this is weird, man. This is very weird. Who knows what's happening in the locker room? Maybe Matthew Stafford is open about it. He gets in front of the team and says, guys, there's a lot of you. I've never met you before. I'm a little bit intimidated by this, trying to get to know you guys, but it's just a weird story. It, it does not make Matthew Stafford, the Rams quarterback, look good at all. 
All right, let's end the show today by talk about talking about the rookie starting quarterbacks. I watched all three of them play during the preseason. I watched them play in every preseason game they played in and every snap they took during the preseason. I want to talk about how they did this past weekend during preseason week three. And then I want to talk about how I currently feel about how they will do this year in general. So let's start with Anthony Richardson. This past weekend, Colts rookie quarterback against Philly, Anthony Richardson was six for 17 passing. He threw for 78 yards. Also, he had five carries for 38 yards. And it was an interesting game. He played the entire first half. He led six drives. There were some ugly moments. There were some bad errant throws. And there were some really nice plays where I was like, oh, wow, that's a nice run. That's a nice throw. That's a good job there. All in all, he had three scoring drives. So three of the six drives they scored. They had two touchdown drives and a field goal. And they had three punts. And this is basically exactly what I expect to see from Anthony Richardson all year. It's going to be a roller coaster. He's going to have ugly games where he's 6 for 17, have way more incompletions and a terrible completion percentage. But that doesn't mean he can't move the ball. Like Despite being 6 for 17 passing, he led two touchdown drives. He moved the ball. They did a good job. They ran the ball well. He ran the ball well. It's going to be ugly at times, but they're going to move the ball downfield. I think he does give them the best opportunity to win, better than Gardner Minshew would. And when we look back on this year, I think there's going to be a lot of incredible Anthony Richardson highlights where he's running left, he flips his feet, he throws it like bazillion yards downfield into triple coverage for a touchdown. You're like, that's the best dang throw I've ever seen in my entire life. He's going to stiff arm people. He's going to leap over people. He's going to run for like 80 yards and a touchdown. He's going to do incredible stuff. And he's also going to do incredibly stupid stuff. It's going to be a roller coaster watching Anthony Richardson this fall. I don't want to encourage you to remember Bills quarterback Josh Allen's rookie year. That year, Josh Allen threw 10 touchdown passes. 12 interceptions, and he also ran for eight touchdowns. He had a lot of turnovers. There was a lot of really ugly plays. His completion percentage was not very high. And that's about what I expect from Anthony Richardson. If he does any better than that, it would be a pleasant surprise. But he's going to run the ball well. They're going to move the ball downfield, but there's going to be a lot of ugly moments. But similar to Josh Allen, look where Josh Allen is now. He's entering year six, and he's reached his potential. I would say that year three, he really took off. And ever since then, Josh Allen's been a powerhouse in the NFL. And so year three or four, Anthony Richardson could do the same. Five years from now, we'll look back on this draft and probably say, hey, Anthony Richardson was the best quarterback drafted in 2023. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's lighting the world on fire. But it's going to take a lot of time for us to get to that point where we look back and believe that. I think he could end up being the best quarterback in this draft class. But he only started 13 games in college. So I encourage you, be patient with Anthony Richardson. It's going to take some time. But his potential is crazy, and I think it's going to be just a roller coaster up and down year with a lot of highlights and a lot of lowlights for the Colts quarterback. Now, during preseason week three, Houston rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud was a humble two-for-four passing, two completions, four total passes. So two incompletions, two completed passes. He threw for 16 yards and a touchdown pass. He did score. Very cool. CJ Stroud is in the toughest position 
of all the rookie quarterbacks. He does not have a lot of help around him. It's kind of a weaker organization, not a great offensive line, not a lot of great receivers, not a great defense, a defensive head coach. I mean, this past weekend is a great example of him being let down by a teammate. He threw a beautiful ball down the left sideline. It reminded me of Eli Manning's throw to Mario Manningham during the Super Bowl against the Patriots, where it was just like really high up in the air. He dropped it right perfectly in the exact spot where it needs to be out along the sideline. Perfect throw against man coverage, and Nico Collins dropped it. Like, oh, you got to have that one, man. That's a beautiful, perfect throw. You got to catch that. I walked away from the preseason feeling actually really good about C.J. Stroud. I watched every game he played, every snap he played for Houston. I also watched every play from Justin Fields during the preseason. I am concerned about Justin Fields. He had opportunities downfield to make great throws against man coverage, and he didn't. In contrast, C.J. Stroud made a lot of great throws where I was like, that's a dime down the sideline. That's a great job. I'll tell you today, I feel strongly about this. C.J. Stroud is a better passer than Justin Fields. And I'm not just saying that because they both went to Ohio State. I'm saying that because I yesterday said I'm concerned about Justin Fields and I feel the opposite about C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is going to have a lot of really nice moments this year in the NFL. It could take some time. I think early on, he could be just adjusting to the NFL. On top of the fact, again, he doesn't have a lot of help. But I left the preseason after three games watching C.J. Stroud. The few reps he took, the little amount we saw. I walked away feeling better about C.J. Stroud, the Texans rookie quarterback, than I did a month ago. He's got a great arm. He's going to be let down by his teammates, I think, a lot this year. But I also think he's going to make a couple really nice throws. It might be forgotten. That's the fear for me, is he could do some really good stuff on a bad Houston team, make some great throws that may not even be completed. Like we saw that Nico Collins throw, perfect throw down the left sideline. That's not even going to end up on a highlight reel because it's a drop. It's not even a completed pass. But he's going to make some really good throws this year, do some good stuff. I just don't know if his teammates are going to help him. Now, uh, during preseason week three, Panthers rookie quarterback Bryce Young played against Detroit. He was 7 for 12 passing. He had 73 yards through the air, through a touchdown pass. He led two drives. He had a 14-play field goal drive and a 7-play touchdown drive. I absolutely love Bryce Young. He doesn't take any unnecessary hits, but he can run. He runs, then he slides. He's got a good arm. He's got a great understanding of what they're doing on offense in Carolina. He had a beautiful touchdown pass to Adam Thielen on a corner route where Adam Thielen caught at the one-yard line, reached over the goal line for a touchdown. You're like, bang, that's a great job all around. In my opinion, Bryce Young will likely look like the best quarterback during their rookie year. He's going to look great. He's got a lot of help around him. He's got a great coaching staff, good teammates. Like compared to C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young has way better teammates. Bryce Young's going to be put in a way better position to succeed than C.J. Stroud. He's also, Bryce Young is more prepared for the NFL than Anthony Richardson, who only started 13 games in college. So there's a lot of help. He's ready for the NFL, in my opinion. I believe in year one, Bryce Young will have the best year. But then five years from now, it's going to be really fun to look back and say, 
Who's the best quarterback of these three? I think all three, I, I don't always say this. It's very rare to have three guys drafted in the first round and have all of them work out. Remember 2018, we had Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was a massive bust. Sam Darnold didn't work out with the Jets or Carolina. Now he's the backup in San Francisco. Baker Mayfield's bounced around the NFL for a couple of years now. Now he's somehow in Tampa as a starting quarterback. But Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, they're phenomenal. So two out of those five ended up being home runs. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense to say C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Bryce Young, all three are going to work out. But right now, I feel like that actually is possible. And that'd be pretty cool. I think it would really show a lot about how the NFL has come a long way and how they develop young quarterbacks. It would say a lot about the way that young quarterbacks are trained and prepared for the NFL. I don't know, man. It's going to be such a fun year keeping track of all these rookie quarterbacks, looking back on their year come February, and then five years from now looking back and saying, who's the best of these three? It's going to be a really fascinating, really interesting year in the NFL, and uh, I actually walked away from the preseason feeling like all three have a chance to do well. Guys, that's all I have today. I wanted to cover the little bit of news, the cuts here, the roster moves made there. Vaughn Miller, Jonathan Taylor, the Patriots quarterbacks. I don't have a lot to say today. I'm off tomorrow and Thursday. My girlfriend rented a car. We're going to go explore the island. I'll see you guys again on Friday. We'll talk about Utah playing Florida on uh, Thursday night, which will be a great college football game. We're going to do some Patreon questions on Friday. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed this very brief version of Strong Opinion Sports. Hope you have a great day, and I'll see you on Friday. Bum bum. Bam, we are done.